And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Hello, F5ers. I am Jason Kleberg, and this is the Force 5 Podcast. It's a show that features a guest that I force to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we talk about those picks on air. Joining me today is Peter Abeda. He's one of the co-hosts of the Middle Class Film Class podcast, and it's time to crack one open because we're talking top five drinking scenes. Unless, of course, you're driving. Or working. Okay, forget it. Probably not a good idea to drink in podcast. Anyway, let's talk about what I've been watching. First up, let's talk some Disney because I saw Raya and the Last Dragon. Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. Our lands have been at war for as long as we can remember. Our people never see eye to eye. My daughter, I believe our people can come together again, but someone has to take the first step. Now, in order to restore peace, we must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. Let's go. We'll have to watch our backs. We're not the only ones looking. Six years of searching. Please let this be it. Set in the fictional region of Kumandra, five warring countries that used to be one unleash a plague upon the world that turns people into stone. A young warrior named Raya sets out on a quest to find all pieces of a stone, as well as Sisu, a magical dragon who may be able to help destroy the plague and get the world back to normal. It won't be easy, however, as Namari, a rival warrior, is also after the stone shards. The animation in Raya and the Last Dragon is absolutely gorgeous. From the waves in the water to the fur on the dragons, everything looks stunning. It makes me think that we're not far away from having fully virtual films, which is as worrying as it is exciting. There's a sequence in which Zisu is jumping on platforms made of water that looks particularly amazing. Each land Raya visits is as varied as the last, and it definitely gives you a sense of space in her world. As a Disney princess, I quite liked Raya. She feels a little more sarcastic and cocksure than most of their leading ladies, and I kind of found that refreshing. I really liked her look as well, this traveling, battle-scarred nomad armed with her steed, a sword, and a treasure map. It was great seeing a Disney princess that hails from Southeast Asia who also was voiced by a Vietnamese-American. The main theme of Raya and the Last Dragon is about trust. The message is a good one for kids to hear, even if the idyllic nature of the film doesn't quite seem like it works in the real world. This, of course, is coming from a jaded adult who sees the millions and millions of grown-up morons trolling about the country, but I guess maybe I'm part of the problem. While the animation looks amazing, the fight scenes were actually disappointing. As someone who loves fight films, I was impressed that Disney had put some actual hand-to-hand -hand combat into one of their titles. Although, it's, you know, it's PG, so you don't really see any strikes land. That said, the fight scenes don't look great. They're edited with multiple cuts in a way that live-action movies film around actors and actresses who can't do the work, leaving the actual blows and tougher moves to the stunt doubles. And I thought this took a lot of the magic of these fight scenes away. You're an animated film. You don't need to have these cuts. You can do whatever you want with the camera. And the story of Raya, while fun, is nothing that I felt like I hadn't seen before in Disney films. You get the stereotypical single dad, the predictable predicament at the beginning, the paint-by-numbers story beats leading to an ending that you will be able to see coming from miles away. It's a fun journey, but it is ridiculously predictable. There was not one surprise to be had when it comes to the story. Raya and the Last Dragon is a fun, predictable romp that kids will definitely love. It's not in the pantheon of great Disney films, and I don't think it's worth the extra 30 bucks that Disney Plus is charging on top of your subscription. If this was a film that you would have seen in theaters and you have at least one kid, that $30 price tag, it definitely, it's better than a family trip to the cinema. Uh, just, it, it didn't feel worth it for me. For what it's worth, I enjoyed my time with it, and Raya is a badass princess that I hope we see more of. I gotta say, I wish that they pushed the envelope just a little bit and had more of a like a love interest angle to Raya and Namari. But it's Disney. We're not there yet, I guess, when it comes to kids' films. Maybe next time. I also got a chance to see Roseanne Liang's new film, 
Shadow in the Cloud. What's your name, honey? Flight Officer Garrett. Ain't no women in the air corps. I'm a flight mechanic and a pilot. You're not a pilot. You're a delivery girl. <laughs> Sir, requesting permission to fire on an enemy attacker. You wouldn't even know how to fire a gun. I was being polite. She hit it! She was right! Who the hell are you, Miss Garrett? What is she here for? Did you hear that? What the hell is that racket? There's something on top of the plane. Something on the goddamn charge! Taking place in World War II, a mysterious woman boards the Fool's Errand, a bomber plane. She's got her arm in a sling, carries a mysterious package, and has orders from their higher-ups to join the flight. The crew reluctantly sticks her in the bubble turret underneath the plane. Unfortunately, the hatch to that turret becomes stuck, leaving Maud trapped in a plastic sphere as she notices there's a passenger on the wing that wasn't on the manifest. I'm going to say this straight up, this movie is a blast. It's a B-movie that knows exactly what it's doing. It's wild, and it's a ton of fun. It's got everything a schlock flick needs. It's got a badass main character played by Chloe Grace Moretz, a creative-looking beast, and a plot that continuously goes from bad to worse as the clock ticks down. There's an obvious feminist slant to the film, and Chloe Grace Moretz is the perfect woman to play Maud, this mysterious woman aboard the Fool's Errand. She's strong, takes no shit, and will stop at nothing to protect her package. The other men aboard the plane don't even really matter, since we're basically with Maud the entire time. In fact, for the first 30 minutes, we never even really leave the bubble turret as she communicates, or rather is sexually harassed and berated by the other crew members through radio only. In the second third of the film, it switches gears from a war film to a creature feature when that shadow in the cloud rears its ugly head. The gremlin, uh, quote unquote, is a large mutated bat looking thing and, it, and it's pretty menacing. It looks great. We don't know why it wants Mod's package, but it's hunting season. It also gives us a few very effective jump scares as it infiltrates the airship. I know I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Mahula, Mahuya, Bridgman Cooper's ominous thumping synth score is awesome. It had me looking for it on Apple Music minutes after the film was over, and it really harkens back to like early 80s Carpenter films. Totally love the score. The main complaints that I've seen online about Shadow in the Cloud is that it's unrealistic. But look, this film is not trying to be realistic. If you're looking for a true-to-life World War II film, exit now. Shadow in the Cloud knows it's ridiculous. It leans into that. As a genre fan, I really appreciated it. The other complaint I've seen is about the overt feminist slant, but it didn't bother me. If you're a weenie with a really fragile ego, maybe this isn't the film for you. Admittedly, the film takes a while to really get going. It takes like 30 minutes to get into the shit, but once it does, the last half of this film is a barn burner. Now, I was under the impression that Roseanne Liang wrote the film, so color me surprised when I saw Max fucking Landis's name in the credits. There are varying accounts of his actual involvement. Roseanne Liang has said that she rewrote 90 to 95% of the script, while Landis says that most of what he wrote remains. The script is available online, so maybe at some point I'll do a comparison. Until then, it just seems a bit icky that Max Landis's name is on a film that's so blatantly about female empowerment, considering what we know about Max Landis now. This film is not going to be for everyone. But it certainly was for me. I love it when a movie takes me on like a ridiculous ride and makes no qualms about being absolutely insane. The film is a showcase for Chloe Grace Moretz, and she absolutely crushes. While you're at it, check out Roseanne Liang's short film, Do No Harm. It's about a surgeon performing a late-night surgery on a Yakuza boss when a rival gang busts into the operating room, but that surgeon isn't letting anything get between her and her patient. It's a really fine action short and a perfect prelude to watching Shadow in the Cloud, and you can find that by heading to www.donoharm-film.com. All right, it's just about time to get Pete on the line, but first, let's talk about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor has been begging to come on the show, and I figured with today's topic, it would be the perfect time to introduce Patty's Pub. This Philadelphia bar has been blessed with awesome weather and a ton of amazing beers on tap. From Asgardian Ale to Duff, Patty's has it all. But they're not here to talk beer today. No, no, no. 
Patty's is expanding their business model. Tell them what's in store, Charlie. Hello, Charlie Kelly here, local business owner and cat enthusiast. Is your cat making too much noise all the time? Is your cat constantly stomping around, driving you crazy? Is your cat clawing at your furnitures? Think there's no answer? You're so stupid. There is kitten mittens. Finally, there's an elegant, comfortable mitten for cats. I couldn't hear anything. Is your cat one-legged? Is your cat fat, skinny, or an in-between? That doesn't matter, because one size fits all. Kitten mittens, you'll be smitten. So come on down to Patty's Pub. We're the home of the original kitten mittens. Meow. This is the Force 5 Podcast, and joining me tonight, just 50 miles to the north in Sacramento, is Peter Abeda. He's the co-host of the Middle Class Film Class, a show that deep dives into a different movie each week and has news and other movie-related stuff. So how's it going, Peter? Hey, everybody. How you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. Uh, aside from Middle Class Film Class, which we're going to dig into a bit later, like what else do people need to know about you? Um, ooh, gosh, about me personally? Um, I'm just a boring old guy. <laughs> work too much, and um, I watch a ton of movies um I'm, I'm a car guy at heart so a lot of my a lot of the things that i notice in movies are interesting if it's period piece i like interesting like old school cars in the 60s and 70s area nice era i've watched love movies since i don't know gosh early before i was even a teenager my mom used to pull me out of school um in high school every once in a while and she'd say hey we're gonna skip school today and we're gonna go to mill valley and go go to some art house theater and watch them watch foreign movies hmm. and that was that was kind of like Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. So I've I've been just in inundating myself with as much movies as as I can uh, ever since. So right on. And this year, especially, it seems like you're inundating yourself with 500 movies. Yeah, yeah. There's a Facebook group that I'm uh, that I follow. It's um it's a movie lovers page, and it's for for movie podcast uh, cinematics. And a lot of the guys on there have this challenge that's trying to watch a. 500 movies in one calendar year and at the end of last of 2020 all these people were in quarantine and they're posting their numbers of how many movies they've watched and i thought i probably watched maybe not 500 but you know maybe 400 or something but i, I bet i could do that so i'm t tasking myself for 2021 to to watch 500 movies and today is what, march 9th mm -hmm. and i'm on 112 oh my gosh so I'm, I'm, I'm breaking pace i'll i'll be i'm hoping to be at uh 200 or 300 by my by middle of the year by my birthday Jeez, how are you keeping track of them all uh two rays i just have a, a st standard uh notes app on my iphone that's my backup and then i use letterboxd um i don't know if, do you know do you know about letterboxd absolutely letterboxd? what's the letterbox username it's underscore pete with four e's in the middle all right pete i'll put it in the show notes so people can follow yeah you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're uh i i, I rate them on there um, and ever, ever since I've been doing that, me and my girlfriend, she, she joined Letterboxd and it's really funny to see our ratings differ because we both watch movies almost identical, you know, match one for one. Yeah. And like I, I, I rated like, I care a lot. The recent release as like a four star. I thought it was super fun and she waited at a half star. Oh, brutal. <laughs> she, she was, she was, she's like, this is, she loved it until the, like the last, literally the like, last five minutes. And then she goes, nope, zero, <laughs> zero stars if I could. So it's, it's kind of a fun way to keep in touch with the movie friends too. A lot of my buddies are on there. The two, the two uh, are Joseph is another, the co-host of our show. Uh, one of our co-hosts and he's on Letterboxd and same thing. I like watching what he watches. Awesome. Yeah. If you're not on Letterboxd and you're listening to this and you watch a lot of movies, go check out Letterboxd. It's like, it's kind of like social media for movie lovers. Like you just post what you watched rate it, review it, and you can see a lot of uh, co-hosts or hosts of podcasts are on there giving their opinions on stuff. And uh, Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's good stuff. What are some of your favorite movies of all time that might not make a list that we're doing today? There Will Be Blood is probably my number one. Okay. it's I, I can't say definitively that I have a number one, but there's there's so much rewatchability in that like two and a half hour movie that like there are times when I'll finish it and I just want to like hit re, just replay it again. 
and uh, Whiplash is another one. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I uh, a, a good soundtrack. I think adds more to a movie than just about anything. I could excuse bad writing, bad set design, but if the soundtrack is good, I'll watch it over and over again. So I, I have Whiplash is a frequent repeat um, in my house. Uh, Annihilation is probably another one. Okay, sci-fi. You know, sci-fi existential cosmic horror. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are the kind of stuff. And then obviously the well, maybe not obvious, but the whole Ari Aster, Robert Eggers birthing in the last five <laughs> years is I'm like it's really excited because I feel like between those two filmmakers that we're got probably people that are gonna be known for, you know, decades as great filmmakers. And their first two movies between the two of them are both just blew knock my socks off hundred percent. Yeah, there's some amazing new horror coming out, like this new this kind of new wave of horror directors is just so impressive with those two and Jordan Peele even. Oh yeah. Uh, It's just, yeah. Crazy, crazy good. Like freshman and sophomore efforts that I'm excited about. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm the, the green, uh, the green Knight is going to be coming out uh, not too long. That's not, that's not either one of them, but that's, he's another filmmaker, David Lowry that made a ghost story and not horror, but I feel like that, that just the kind of, overall tone of his movies gives me that like like he knows he just knows what he's doing and it's more about tone than anything and that's that was probably my biggest lament over the 2020 pandemic was that that movie was something that still hasn't even been released yet i know hopefully soon it's coming isn't that like a remake or retelling of uh of an older movie i think it's a i don't know if it's a, a movie per se but the 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 story of the green knight is there's a name of the night too. I can't remember the name of it, but I read up a little on it and it's it's almost like based off of um kind of like Grimm's fairy tales. These are historical writings or maybe not historically accurate writings, but stories that were told of a older era. Yeah. Could have sworn in the movie Sword of the Valiant with with uh Sean Connery. I'm pretty sure he plays the Green Knight in that. I don't know mm. if they're related and I could be wrong. But I think that's the Green Knight that he plays. Uh, it was either that or the Green Power Ranger. One of the two. <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> yeah, Tommy. With the flute on the sword. Oh, well, there's no <laughs> flutes or swords on my list today. <laughs> it's time to get to the list. You know what's going to happen? You know what's happening here right now? I know what's going to happen. No, no, no. top five drinking scenes today. And I took this, of course, to mean alcoholic drinking scenes. Mm-hmm. Tell me why Why top five drinking scenes? Were you just getting sauced at the time? Or was it like, you know what? I got a good list to come with. I don't know. I just, I really love um, some of my, some of my, like, well, the lighthouse is basically edge to edge. It could be construed as like one big drinking scene. And that, that movie, it like resonated me, with me super hard when it was released. And uh, I don't know, when I think of top five lists, I think, or, I think of like fun things to revisit and fun scenes to watch. It's easy to get down and talk about, you know, depressing things. But man, when, you're, when you're having a good drinking scene, it's, I almost, it's like you really just want to go like put on a twister. <laughs> After I watch Lighthouse, I'm like, do we have any rum? Can we get some rum in here, please? <laughs> So I I, uh, I I don't know why, but uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Nice. And are you drinking anything right now as we record? I knew you were going to ask that, and no, I'm not. I I decided to level heads <laughs> prevail. Keep keep the sauce on a minimum on a on a Tuesday night while I'm recording. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm the same way. I have just water with me now. But uh, in the spirit of drinking, like, what is your favorite drink? If if we're going to a bar together talking movies, what are you ordering? A uh, classy joint, whiskey sour, um, bad joint, anything uh, with really dark brown ale. Nice. Like a, like a dark brown Belgian beer. Okay, cool. I'm a uh, I'm an IPA guy myself, and mm. if I drank during podcasting, I would have a Pliny with me right now. Ooh, younger or elder? Well, younger's only available for like a week out of the year, so <laughs> uh, luckily I can get elder down the street 10 minutes from me, so that's where I'm headed. Let's get into our list. Top five drinking scenes. I tell you, there were just a ton of scenes that came right into my head, and it took me a while to whittle this list down. I'm sure you were the same way. Yeah, I, I, I whittled it down to like my top 12 for 13, and then I went back and watched every scene on YouTube just yep. to make sure that held up. 
And some of them instantly fell off and some of them are more about the consequences of the drinking than the actual drinking. So I, I whittle it down and I, I feel like I got a pretty, a pretty tight five with like seven runners up. The only ones I really nixed off my list were two movies that I just talked about recently. So I didn't want to mm. like double up on those, but I do have some on the list here today uh, from films I haven't talked about at all on this show. So I'm pretty excited oh, nice. to, uh, to run through those. Well, let's get to it. Peter, what is number five on your list of top five drinking scenes? All right, top five. Number five. Um, this is what you would, what someone would call my hipster pick. This is a movie I just watched uh, from 2014. It's called A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence. It's a Swedish, <laughs> right. Swedish filmmaker named Roy Anderson. Uh, he's wrote, wrote and directed this movie. And the entire movie is like a, like a di- it's a series of like dioramas. Every shot is like painstakingly constructed, the scenery. And the camera never moves. It's a lockdown camera shot. And every single shot is like like a 12 or 15 minute long take. Hmm. So so it's very strange. It's almost like you're watching a dream when you're watching it or, or, or look into like Terry Gilliam's brain, you know, if he was on a Quaalude or something. <laughs> and like the energy levels toned way down. But there's a there's a scene uh, where you're looking in a bar and and you really feel like you're looking into this bar. And there's an old man sitting at a, at a table and he's the the bartender is is serving him another drink and the, all the people around him are asking if he's okay because this guy looks like he's on the edge of death <laughs> and then you see a flashback to what you assume is him as a young man same scene different background a uh, different uh, arrangement of chairs but it's now in like the 1940s in wartime and he's a young man sitting at that same table and there's a group of soldiers sitting in the back and the bartender waitress breaks into song singing Glory, glory, hallelujah, but in Swedish, and she's singing lyrics basically saying, if you have no money, you can pay for a drink with a kiss. And about 40 or 50 young soldiers getting ready to march <laughs> off to war line up and give her like real, real kisses. And they take their shot and move on. And it's, <laughs> it is so weird. I only watched it probably three, four months ago, maybe just before the turn of the year. And I still think about that movie a lot and it is, it's so weird, but it's, it's a long shot after shot, after shot, kiss, shot, kiss, shot. Huh. And, and, and then it comes back to the real world and you almost have this weird, like, what did I just watch? This guy's memory. Yeah. So yeah very weird, but um, you know, not for everybody that movie, but the, the scene itself stuck with me. That's amazing. That's a film I have never heard of. What's the name of that again? A pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. Wow. There's yeah, it's a trilogy. That's the third of a trilogy from that same uh, filmmaker, and his other ones span all the way back into like the year two thousand. It's like songs from a second story, and you the living are the other two. Haven't seen those, but this is the most recent one, and it was it was a trip. I'll have to check that out. My number five is going to be my most obvious. So for people that know me, like I wanted to get this one out of the way because everybody would assume that I had this on my list. It is the basement tavern scene from Inglorious Bastards. Good pick. You have these bastards who are essentially Jewish soldiers that are undercover in Germany during World War II to kill Nazis. That's all they're there to do. And (laughs) we've got a couple of these soldiers in disguise, and they're meeting up in this basement tavern to kind of discuss their next steps. Unfortunately, there's also an SS celebration going on for one of the soldiers because he's recently had a son. You know, they're just trying to blend in as Nazis, but unfortunately, they have some tells that the main Nazi soldier in the tavern is picking up on. Well, if this is it, old boy, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking to kings. By all means, Captain. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Seeing as I may be rapping on the door momentarily, I must say, damn good stuff, sir. Now, about this pickle we find ourselves in, it would appear there's only one thing left for you to do. And what would that be? Stiglitz. See how feeders into your Nazi boss. 
It's a great scene. Number one, uh, they are they're drinking for a while. It's like yeah. a fifteen minute scene, at least. <laughs> but it, yeah, but it is so tense at the same time, and uh, they they play like a guessing game. That game where you write somebody's name on a card and smack it on your forehead. You have to guess who you are. Yeah, yeah. And that's really fun. And the whole scene, by the way, Hugo Stiglitz has this card on his head, like as it unfolds the entire scene. It's amazing. At one point, uh, the one of the British soldiers, he's a British soldier, but he's uh, posing as a Nazi, Hickox, he puts yeah, up... Fassbender. Yep, yeah, Michael Fassbender. He puts up number three, but he puts it up in a way that reveals that he's not a German. And shit goes down. Yeah. A boy does it. <laughs> but before that, they share a glass of expensive scotch, and he downs it. And after he downs it, some people die in that scene. Some people die. <laughs> but that's a that's a great pick, and it just missed my list. I I asked my co-hosts on uh, the podcast uh, what their picks were, just out of curiosity. And Joseph's was um, Inglorious Bastards, the basement scene. Oh, one, so one, good. one of his picks. It is fantastic. Yeah, I could have done a couple scenes from Tarantino movies on here, but uh, that's the one. That's the one I went with. Uh, number four now. On to your number four. Yep. This is uh, definitely, uh, definitely a change of pace from the hipster pick from before. This is from 2006 Beer Fest, another movie that could be construed as a drinking scene from start to finish. <laughs> and I had three scenes in particular on my list originally. I pared it down to the college party scene where they go. And they, they go as the party squad or party brigade, and they play drinking games with, with locals. For those who haven't seen Beer Fest, it's a group of, I think, five friends that uh, get together to compete in a beer drinking competition. It's like the underground of Oktoberfest. And, um, you know, you don't need to get into more about the specifics of it, but they train for the whole year to be able to drink. <laughs> <laughs> and one of, the, one of the things that they need to do at this at this competition is play a very variety of games. So they go to a local college party and they're the guys that brought you super troopers. So they're late thirties, oh, yeah. maybe early forties, broken lizard, the group, and they roll in and they stick out like a sore thumb and everyone's look at them like well, these old guys and they proceed to drink everyone under the table. Hey, what are the queer I make over? <laughs> We're the party brigade. We're here to play some drinking games. And they play Never Have I Ever. They play this copycat game I've never seen before. Finkelstein, the character, he gets taught how to do a strikeout, which is you take a huge bong rip chug a beer, shoot a shot, and then blow your smoke out. <laughs> and then he passes out on the ground and proceeded to be recognized by his paper boy. He says, hey, Finkelstein, look at you. And the, the culmination of the, of the um, scene is the cops get called. They're in the backyard doing a boxing match with uh, one of them's wearing a wedding dress and the other one's wearing a tuxedo, baby blue tuxedo. And they all run away from the cops and it smash cut to them riding a tandem bicycle made for five back home full, <laughs> full of smiles the next morning. It's so stupid. <laughs> nice. This is another one I have not seen. Really? Yeah. And I like the, I like the broken lizard guys. Like I love super troopers, but I have not seen this for some reason. It's not quite as it's better than super troopers too. I'll put it that way. Um, so uh, it's, it's worth, a, it's worth a viewing, especially if you enjoy a, a beer uh, in your free time. Um, but this particular scene is just like all the best parts of a house party and the drinking that goes along with it. You know, you're having fun, you're meeting new people, you're playing games you've never done before, you're making a fool of yourself, and it's all in good fun. No one, no one out there is out for blood. It's just a great time. I think the reason that I've never seen this is because I always get it mixed up with the Artie Lang movie that came out that same year. Oh, which one which is that? I think it's called Beer League. Oh, oh, okay. I don't even heard of that one. Mm -mm. And I, I think that's why I've never watched it, because I, I just don't care for Artie Lang's type of comedy. <laughs> and I've always kind of like confused the two. Yeah, this is um, Cloris Leachman is, uh, plays the main character's grandmother, and she's from the old country. And essentially the, the, the plot is that 
there's she has a their family brew called Schnitzen Schnitzen Giggle Brew. And, <laughs> Great name. Yeah, and and it's um Nat Faxon and uh, Will Forte play the like grandchildren of the brew head brewer in this like brewery back home in the, in the old country that supposedly is their like namesake, and they're trying to like gain rights back to their family brewery, but they're like bastard children from a whore mother, that sort of thing. <laughs> Got it. So it's, it's pretty fun. That leads perfectly into my number four, which is also a big party. Mm. Of course, this drinking scene takes place at Mitchapalooza in 2003's ah, Old School. Good one. And the, the scene in question is the introduction of Frank the Tank. <laughs> so... For those who haven't seen Old School, you should see it because to me it is one of the best comedies of the uh, this century. <laughs> and uh, what happens is Mitch, played by um, Luke Wilson, he walks in on his girlfriend cheating on him, uh, not just with one man, but <laughs> with many men. And yeah. he <laughs> finds himself in complete despair, and he he basically gets this house that's inside of the college campus fraternity zone and his friends feel bad for him. His friends are Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn. They feel bad for him. So they decide they're going to throw this huge party for him, invite all the people from the college. And they treat it as this, like him releasing back into the wild as a new man. Yeah. <laughs> and they call it Mitchapalooza. Now, Will Ferrell plays my favorite character that he's ever played here. He's this family man. He's a married man named Frank. He used to be a party animal, but since getting married, he, you know, life has calmed down for him. And he's walking through the party with two wild cherry Pepsis. That's how wild Frank is at this time. <laughs> as wild as he gets is the cherry in his Pepsi. And a couple of guys, some of the main characters, they stop him and tell him to shotgun one beer. And at first he's like, no, I can't. Like I told my wife I wouldn't drink. And then eventually he says, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. Fill her up. He takes one beer with the shot. He shotguns one beer and one becomes many. And he becomes <laughs> Frank the Tank. <laughs> Pardon me. I just, I just want to get through there. This door over here, if you don't mind. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, oh, what's this up? is his house. Yo, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, no, no, no. That's my friend Mitch. You're mistaking me. That's my friend Mitch. He owns the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, yo, man, come hit this right here. You need to hit this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate it, but I told my wife I wouldn't drink tonight. Besides, I got a big day tomorrow. But, but you guys have a great time. A big day? Doing what? Well, um, actually, pretty nice little Saturday. We're uh, we're gonna go to Home Depot. Yeah, buy some wallpaper, maybe get some flooring, stuff like that. Maybe Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. You know what? You know what? Oh, it's classic. It's great, and and then he uh he comes out later in the scene naked and Snoop Dogg is playing in the backyard on the giant stage. <laughs> yep. Proceeds to moon the entire audience. It all comes to a head as he streaks through the quad. And unfortunately his wife is in a car driving and they see Frank running down the street. But uh, man, those, those chants of Frank the tank, I will never forget seeing that scene in the theater because it was one of the largest laughs that I've seen in a very long time. Oscar nominated uh, Todd Phillips. <laughs> yeah, before Todd Phillips was directing the Joker, he was directing uh, silly comedies. But I, I still think Old School is one of the funniest comedies that I've seen this century, for sure. I, I've watched this uh, as early as last month. Nice. I haven't seen it in a while. I need to rewatch it again. That's great. <laughs> You're my boy, Blue. I think I had uh, I said that in passing in conversation you know, <laughs> to my girlfriend, and she didn't get the reference. And I'm like, what? We're watching that tonight. <laughs> all right on to your number three uh number three one of my favorite series i think probably arguably or maybe objectively the best trilogy of all times lord of the rings part of my quest for 500 this year i watched all three extended edition movies in one day in one sitting oh that's a full day 
11 hours and 42 minutes. And this is from Return of the King, the extended edition, the inn at Edoras, which is the capital of Rohan. Uh, after the Battle of Helm's Deep, one of the most epic battles ever committed to film or CGI um, in history, um, all the soldiers, they all go back to Rohan, and they're in this big, giant bar at the inn. They're celebrating their victory. They're mourning their deceased. And you have two fantastic parts to the scene. Everyone's drunk. Everyone's sloshed. It's dwarves. It's hobbits. It's um, the men, you know, the, the, the riders of Rohan. And um, you have Merry and Pippin from the Shire, these two little hobbits, and they're hopping around on a table and they're singing the drinking song of their tavern back home, the Green Dragon. And the entire place is like putty in their hands. <laughs> like these two little, just little sprites having a good time, dancing a jig, kicking beers off of the table, but no one cares. And uh, that, that part in itself is great. But in the extended edition, you show an actual shot for shot drinking scene, but it's with beers between Gimli the dwarf and Legolas the elf. The dwarf thinks he can drink Legolas under the table. Legolas is an, an elf, and you don't find this out until the very end of the scene, but he's like 40 beers in, <laughs> and he says, I think I feel a slight tingle in my fingers. I'm affected. And at, at that point, Gimli goes cross-eyed, murmurs something, and then passes out. No pauses, no spirits, and no regurgitation. So, it's a drinking. Last one standing wins. <laughs> Just a really fun scene in general. I love drinking songs, although I've never really sang a drinking song. I think everybody and their sister has sang Don't Stop Believing, Drunken in a Bar one time. Indeed. But it's not the same when you don't, when, if, it's, if it's not a drinking song from your hometown. So, this, <laughs> it, it scratches an itch that I didn't know I had to see the hobbits dance around like that. And it's a, I, I believe, an homage to Indiana Jones um, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark because the opening scene to that is the woman in the bar in Nepal that she runs having a drinking competition. John Reese davies he is, he, pl he plays the, the, uh, the friend in the Middle East um, and he also plays Gimli. I did not realize that. Same actor. You, if, you, if you didn't have someone tell you, you wouldn't even know. So it's a very, very cool throwback or callback in my opinion. That's awesome. And that's one that I'm glad you brought up the Indiana Jones one, because that's one that I left off my list thinking that it was too obvious. Um, so I'm glad that it came up. Yeah. The reason I re left it off is, is purely for the, the realism of it. The girl, I can't remember the character's name. Uh, I think it's Marion. I think it is Marion. Yeah, you're right. It is Marion. And that was Tyler. He's my other co-host. He's um, he is, that was his number one. Nice. He loves Indiana Jones. Um, but she's maybe 110 pounds. <laughs> yes. That, the guy that she's drinking against is 250, 280, and they're 25 shots in. And after she drinks him under the table, he she just gets up and is like, all right, time to close shop. <laughs> and then has a brawl with these Nazis and is totally cool. <laughs> that doesn't happen when you go out? You don't have 25 shots and just walk away? No, no. You lightweight. I know. What the hell? It's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Lord of the Rings. Uh, which Lord of the Rings is that from again? This is Return of the King, the 2003. Uh, we're going to go to 1995 for my number three. This was tough to like narrow it down to one. There's two in this film that I want to talk about. I just couldn't pick one of the two, so I'll do two short intros. They're both from 1995's Desperado. I could have done a couple of different Robert Rodriguez movies, but I think the bar scenes in Desperado are... Super memorable. The first one is the very first scene starring Steve Buscemi. Mm. He walks into this Mexican bar. It's a dive bar with a bunch of lowlifes in there. He sits down, super confident when he walks in, and he orders a beer. And uh, Cheech is the bartender. He's like, uh, we don't have any beer. We just have this piss-warm chango. <laughs> and uh, Buscemi's like, perfect. Slides it over. He takes a sip. This is the best beer I've ever had. And, uh, you know, they're, of course, very surprised at this because it's probably shit beer. And then he proceeds to describe what went down at the last bar he was in while enjoying this beer. And he tells the tale of Antonio Banderas's mariachi character who walks in and dispatches of a bar full of lowlifes. But Buscemi makes sure to, to tell him a bar full of lowlifes, like this one, but not like the patrons you have here. 
not like these upstanding citizens. And, uh, you know, everybody's kind of on bated breath as he goes through this story because they realize that he's talking about a bar exactly like the one they're in. I'm just glad to be alive right now. (laughs) I was up a few towns away. You know Saragossa? I was visiting a bar there. Not unlike this one. They serve beer. Not quite as good as this, but close. And I saw something you wouldn't believe. I'm sitting there, see? Small table all by myself. Now this bar is full of real lowlifes. I mean, not like this place here. No, I mean bad. Like they were up to no good, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, I'm all by myself. I like it that way. Meanwhile, things are going on. Under the table kinds of things. Not too obvious, but not too secret either. And in walks the biggest Mexican I have ever seen. Big as shit. Just walks right in like he owns a place. Now, nobody knew quite what to make of him or quite what to think. But there he was, and in he walked. And it's the perfect setup to like the tone of the movie and what you're in for. And uh, and I just thought it was a great scene. But I wanted like as as my three B, I wanted to mention the scene where Quentin Tarantino walks into the bar as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking you were going to say. Yeah, he walks in and and Cheech slides him a beer. He slides him both a beer and, and he starts drinking this beer and he starts telling a story. It's a joke. This guy comes in the bar, walks up to the bartender. He says, bartender. I got me a bet for you. I'm going to bet you $300 that I can piss into that glass over there and not spill a single solitary glass. And bartender looks at this glass. And then we're talking about like this glass is like a good 10 feet away. He says, no, wait, let me get this straight. You're trying to tell me you're going to bet me $300 that you can piss standing over here, way over there, into that glass and not spill a single drop. This customer looks at him and says, Young man, you got a bet. The guy goes, okay, here we go, here we go. Pulls out his thing. He's looking at the glass, man. He's thinking about the glass, he's thinking about the glass, he's glass, he's thinking about the glass, glass, thinking about his dick, dick glass, dick glass, dick glass, be the glass, dick glass, dick glass, dick glass. And then he lets it rip. And he he's pissing all over the place, man. He's pissing on the bar, he's pissing on the stools, on the floor, on the phone, on the bartender. He's pissing everywhere except the fucking glass, right? Okay. I, it's been so long. I, I barely even remember the actual content of that scene, the um, the one that Tarantino's in. Yeah. I remember it being just super fun and campy and great and, like you said, matches the tone of the movie perfectly. And I, I'm a – you touched on two great things um, that just resonate with me that gives me, like, you know, warm, fuzzy f- – vibes from my memories of nights out drinking with friends is telling a good story when you're sauced or even when <laughs> everyone's just drinking and you're, you're, you know, you're headed, headed that way. Ah, oh, it's so fun. It, yeah. it hits different when you got a couple in you and the, the crazy jokes as long ones, short ones, stupid puns, this and that. It's like, it, it's like playing to a packed crowd. I mean, there's a reason why they have a two drink minimum at comedy. <laughs> so, so it's super, that's super fun. Great pick. Number two, this one does not involve any drunken debauchery. It is, I, I chose it because it's not necessarily thought of as a drinking scene, but it's something that is a different side that's not really portrayed a lot in movies. It's just the simple joy of enjoying a cold beer on a hot day when you got some shit work to do. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. 1994, The Shawshank Redemption. Yep. This is the rooftop scene when Andy Dufresne and his uh, lovable cast of inmates are up on the roof tar in the roof and uh captain hadley or hadley um played by clancy ground uh, clancy brown mr Krabs himself is, is up on the roof and he, they're busting their balls and he overhears um dufresne overhears um the guards talking about how the government is going to take all his money from this inheritance that he got or something yeah and he, and he says uh the first thing he says, Andy Dufresne, easy to quick to put his foot in his mouth. He says, do you trust your wife? Which leads this uh, insane uh, prison guard, lead of the prison guard, to basically hang him over the side of the building and, and say, you choose your words very carefully. 
and he essentially Andy Dufresne is a accountant, um, a numbers whiz, and he says you can gift fifty thousand dollars of this new inheritance to your wife as a one-time gift for the year, which is tax-free per the government, and then you can get it back at the end of the year, and she'll gift it back to you, or it goes into your joint account or whatever. He's surprised by this. The guard is, and he essentially barters with him, and he says. I'll set up the accounts for you. I'll do all the paperwork. I'll do all your grunt work. All I ask in return is that you get cold beer from me, my men. And that's how it came to pass that on the second to last day of the job, the convict crew that tarred the plate factory roof in the spring of 49 wound up sitting in a row at 10 o'clock in the morning drinking icy cold Bohemia-style beer courtesy of the hardest screw that ever walked a turn at Shawshank State Prison. Drink up while it's cold, ladies. The colossal prick even managed to sound magnanimous. We sat and drank with the sun on our shoulders and felt like free men. Hell, we could have been tarring the roof of one of our own houses. We were the lords of all creation. It's a heartwarming scene. It's really sweet. And if you've ever done exhaust work underneath a car in the middle of July in Northern California and then got up covered in sweat and grime and went and got a cold beer from the fridge, uh, there's nothing like it. That's a great pick. Great pick. And I, you know what's weird? I didn't even think of that scene while I was coming up with my list. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, it's not, it's not really a, a thought of as a drinking scene. It's like this clever, snarky, you know, turnaround logic scene. But at the end, they're enjoying their cold beers, and he and and the exact that's exactly what Morgan Freeman, who narrates the entire movie, says. He said, "For that short moment, we were drinking beer like free men." When they have those beers, it it looks like the best beer you'd ever drink. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can see the wear on them. I mean, you can see they're in the 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 set design and the costume design is great. You look, it just looks like a a ragtag group of uh, prison, you know, inmates that are beat to hell doing this shit work and i think i think what he actually says is you know we might as well have been on our our own rooftops tarring our own roofs that day and it's like you know how can you beat that and he and, and the, the kicker to the whole thing is that andy didn't even drink a beer one of the one of the one of his friends comes over to him and offers him a beer and he says oh thanks i quit drinking <laughs> so, cool. so good yeah that's a that's a great pick my number two is going to get a lot more sour <laughs> oh yeah this is my uh, this is my horror pick here, uh, and this is I'm getting away from the beer on this one. We're going to mezcal or tequila, like a tequila type of drink from Poltergeist Two: The Other Side from 1986. Nice. So in the second Poltergeist, the Freeling family has moved in with Diane's mother. They moved to Phoenix, Arizona, because their old home, as we find out in the first scene has been turned into an excavation site. So they're trying to figure out what's going on there. So they've moved out of that house. They've left the demon behind, but not so fast. There's a guy named Cain, well, a demon named Cain that's disguised as a preacher. And he's after Carol Ann again. He's trying everything he can do to get into their house. Uh, they've removed all the TVs from the house. He's trying to get in through the phone. He's just trying everything he can to get into this house. Steven, he's just not happy. Like he's depressed. He's selling, I think he's like selling vacuums door to door as his work. Like he's trying to get the insurance money for the house that's gone. It's, it's just a mess and he's depressed. It's Craig T. Nelson, right? Craig T. Nelson. Yep. Coach. And, yeah. uh, you have this character named Taylor. Who's basically saying like, you, you gotta keep your guard up. You can't let Kane in the house. You like, this is up to you. He's going to try and tear you apart as a family unit. And like, he's been so strong. He doesn't let Kane in the house. But one night, he lets his guard down, and he finishes off this bottle of mezcal. And it's one of these bottles with the worms in the bottom. And he takes this, this worm down at the very last sip. But Cain has possessed that worm. He swallows it, and almost immediately, he knows something's wrong. And it's like almost like it's possessed him. Yeah. He walks into the bathroom, and he essentially offends his wife. And uh, it's kind of a messy scene. They're trying to get the kids to bed. And when he goes into his bedroom after that scene, something starts happening with him. And Diane's like, are you okay? And he's kind of doubled over. And this huge, nasty looking worm thing starts coming out of his mouth, out of his throat. His 
his whole jaw is kind of opening up and this thing's coming out. I mean, this thing's bigger than a cat and it's long and it's curling up on the floor. It's one of the most sickening scenes I've ever seen and it will definitely always stay with me because once it lands on the floor and it gets out of him, it starts crawling away. <laughs> and it's got almost like this skull-like face yeah. and ribs that are kind of forming, but it's got these two little stump legs behind it as it crawls out of the room. And it is so disturbing and so disgusting, but that's how Kane gets into the house. Hey, Dad? Yeah. I just want to give my little girl a hug. I would like to talk alone. Go put on your nighty, honey. What's going on, Steph? Nothing. I just want us to be alone. Callahan's upset. Does that feel good? I should dry her hair. She's all right. She's safe. Stephen, come on. kids always drink responsibly don't drink the worm don't drink the worm you won't drink the worm <laughs> if you've seen this scene in poltergeist 2 I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because i re-watched poltergeist one years ago um thinking that I, that scene was from the first one and i got to the end and i'm like did i imagine that the worm <laughs> scene and it was from the number two i totally forgot about number two there's a lot of like weird worm scenes in the poltergeist series including like the chicken wing one i don't remember that where he bites into the chicken wing and it's just like filled with maggots. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just you'll never look at uh, at the worm in the bottom of a bottle the same way after seeing this film. Yeah, I don't I can't I can't even confidently say I've ever seen a bottle of mezcal or tequila that has the worm in it. I, I just thought like when I was a kid, I remember asking my parents, "Why is there a worm in there? Is that is a is it gone bad?" And my parents were like, no, there's a worm in the bottom of the bottle. And I was like, every time I, as I got older, looked at a bottle of whiskey, I'm like, well, there's nothing in this bottle of Jack Daniels. I get this, this sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, to be honest, I probably don't think I've seen many bottles with the worm in it either, but must just be like a. I think like it's a, a straight from Mexico. I think it's like bad liquor. Yeah, it might be. Might be. Right. <laughs> good, good pick. Um, we're to the number one. On to the finale. Yeah. Number one. Pete, what's your number one on top five drinking scenes? All right. My number one drinking scene of all time was a very hard choice, and I knew it was going to come from the same movie. Um, I mentioned it earlier in the, in the, the podcast, um, but this is from 2019's The Lighthouse, written and directed by Robert Eggers. Uh, this is the follow-up to his 2014, uh, I guess, freshman debut, which was The Witch, the, or the Vivich, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> and um, the lighthouse is a story of one new coming wannabe lighthouse keeper and one old tired sea hag of a man played by um, Willem Dafoe, who is a lighthouse wiki through and through. And they're going out to man this lighthouse for, you know, four weeks or three weeks or whatever it is. Things get a little bit crazy. That's it's like cabin fever you know, times a thousand. They're stuck in this little tiny longhouse that's attached to the lighthouse. And the lighthouse is nonstop, constantly blowing the foghorn all the time. And you find out throughout the story of um, Ephraim Winslow, who may or may not actually be Ephraim Winslow, and Thomas Wake, which is the old man. And you find out through their time together that Ephraim has a checkered past and he's off the sauce. He doesn't want to drink when he first gets there. And Thomas Wake says, you got to do it. It's the only thing that keeps you, keeps you sane. So um, there's a, a storm coming in and they decide to start drinking. And it's, it's, it's a, this whole movie is like a throwback to like 1920s, 1930s filmmaking, I think. It's all black um, and white, all done with those cameras. Yes. 
it was done. They used the original, like original, like 1930 um, lenses uh, out, out, uh, retrofitted to modern cameras. And it's all done with natural lighting. Majority of the film is just is shot by candlelight within the actual house. And uh, it really forces you to like lean in and like get on the same page as the characters. But the scene that I'm talking about is they chug rum like maniacs. It's a quick cut of them like maniacally chugging rum out of, straight <laughs> out of the bottle side by side like a contest. And it cuts right to them singing a jig, dancing around a table, kicking furniture over. And it's just the two of them out in the middle of nowhere with a storm brewing on the horizon, getting just shit, shit completely shit faced. And they're having a good time. They're dancing a jig. They may not even know the words. They're singing gibberish as they go. And then it's smash cut to them slow dancing in <laughs> cheek to cheek, singing this like old man wind or old man awake is singing this soft little lullaby about some, a woman he knew once and they're dancing and then they look at each other and they both kind of lean in like they're going to kiss and then they separate and then just go get into a fist fight immediately, <laughs> beat the shit out of each other. And then it's smash cut to them laying on the ground and one's head is in the other one's lap and they're just talking about life and things and whatever. And you're like, these guys went through the entire range of emotions, love and hate, fun and joy, fighting, loving, dancing all within this, a span of like a, a three minute scene. If but the birds were gin, if but the sun were a hearty river. It's cut so well that you know you it's, it's almost like you don't have to have been in that situation to know exactly what it's like to be in that situation and it's it's just masterful filmmaking i watched it in theaters for our show for middle class film class we we did we do these mini episodes every so often called um film class field trips and we go to the theaters together we watch a movie we, we give a release day review like that night we did a kind of version of that um for the lighthouse because we were all really excited about it we, all three of us love eggers and it did not disappoint. Good stuff. Lighthouse 2019. All right. My number one is one that when you first brought up the topic to me, it was like, okay, this is my number one. There was never any doubt. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, it was like, well, I could put Inglorious Bastards there, but you know what? This this scene is my number one for sure. And it is from one of the most surprising movies that I saw last decade, and it was one of my favorite movies of the 10s, one that completely snuck up on me. It is the bar scene from 2014's The Guest. Oh, wow. Out of left field. I love The Guest. Yeah, The Guest is such a good movie. It's an Adam Wingard movie. And this one affected me so much because I was traveling when I when I wanted to watch a movie. So I, I used to do this work while I was traveling all the time. Uh -huh. And I get into this, this city, and I think it was in it was like in the Midwest somewhere like St. Louis or something. And I was super bored. It's like, I want to go see a movie. And the guest was out. I'm like, I don't know a thing about it. All I knew is that Adam Wingard had directed it. And I was like, well, I like your next, I guess I'll go see that. So I went in expecting a horror movie and this is not a horror movie. It's more reminiscent of eighties films like the Terminator yeah, than, yeah. than horror. But there are like, there are some horror elements to it, but, Essentially, like as the movie starts, you have this family, they're the Petersons, and they're grieving because their son was in the military, he died, they're all still dealing with it in their different ways, and then they get a knock at the door, and it's this guy named Daniel, and Daniel walks in, Daniel has served with their son, and there's proof like in the house, there's a photo of him in the, together, yeah. in the house, yeah, with, with their son, and so they invite him in, and they're like, you know, you got to stay a while. And he does. He, he starts staying there for a bit, just uh, temporarily. He's forming bonds with the family. And the younger son, his name is Luke, he's going to school. He's being bullied at school. And Daniel one day goes to pick him up from school, and he's got this black eye because the bullies, like, they're real pieces of shit. Yeah, they do a good job. Yeah, and, and uh, he's like, oh, you know, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. But Daniel knows, and he's like, who was it? And Luke points him out. 
and they all get in this big truck and they go driving and Daniel follows them and they he follows them to this bar in the middle of nowhere. And uh, Luke's real like he's real resistant to this. And at this point, we don't know much about Daniel at all other than like he he's not going to take shit. So they pull up to this bar. They walk into the bar and these teenage bullies are just kind of like in the corner drinking beer. And he sits down with Luke at a table. The bartender walks over. I'm going to need some I- to see some ID. And he's like, did you check their ID? It's worth mentioning, too, that the, the bullies are like the star jocks of the football team. And this is in like corn country out in Nebraska. So, oh, yeah, that's all they got. Yeah, they they're like they're wearing the Letterman jackets yeah. and stuff in there. They're they're town heroes. Yep. So the the guy's like, "What do you want to drink?" And he says, "Well, I have a Coke for my brother here." He calls him his brother, and I'll have a a uh, Fireball, which is like hot sauce, whiskey. I think like it's a pretty gnarly drink. Yeah. And uh, you know the guy brings the brings it over, and Luke tastes it, and he like he almost throws up because it's like too much for him. But at the same time, he says, you know, I can't help seeing those girls drinking shitty beer over there. I would like to order each of those ladies a blowjob shot, <laughs> which obviously is going to be offensive to their to their yes. male counterparts. And the bartender says, do you want to order the guys a drink? And after he says no, he says, you know what? Fine. I'll order the guys a cosmopolitan. Yeah. <laughs> so blowjob shots for the ladies and Power Cosmos man. for the boys, yeah. Of course, the boys find this offensive. They walk over, and uh, they don't like the drinks. Long story short, they throw one of the drinks in Daniel's face, and then that fireball drink becomes a weapon. What can I get you? You know how to make a fireball. Cinnamon schnapps and Tabasco sauce. That's my drink of choice. Let me get one of those. Coke here for my brother. And I can't help but notice that those ladies over there are drinking cheap beer. That seems like a shame to me. I'd like to buy each one of them a blowjob shot. Are you serious? I am. Yes. Do you want to buy anything for their fellas? Do I look like I'd like to buy something for their fellas? Might be the polite thing to do. Sure. Okay, fine. Let me get each one of those guys at Cosmopolitan. Mister, I don't know what you're going for, but uh, I was thinking of beer. Nope. Blowjob shots for the ladies and a Cosmopolitan for each of the guys. You can keep the change on that. You got it. Needless to say, some of those jocks probably ended their football careers right there. And it's the first moment in this film where you really see what Daniel is capable of. You need to go watch The Guest. It is great. Oh, it's awesome. It's got great music. It's got great uh, like suspense, and you don't know where it's going to go. But I tell you what, that bar scene really sets the tone, and it was like a shoe-in for my number one on this list. Well, I know that you had like a ton of, of uh, like honorable mentions. You want to just chuck a couple out there that you were sad to see not make any of our lists? Yes, yes. Uh, Can't Hardly Wait was early on my list, but rewatching it, it only holds up to like a 14 year old head. Um, <laughs> not as good as I remember the scene where like the nerd gets drunk and has a, you know, everyone is a party hero. Yeah. Um, the E.T., the drinking scene that Elliot gets drunk at school while E.T.'s drinking at home. Yep, that almost made my list. That's a good one. Four year old virgin uh, where Leslie Mann um, pukes all over um, Steve Carell in the PT Cruiser. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that was more about the after effects of the drinking than the actual drinking. Um, I had a couple of scenes from Beer, beer Fest, uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, the celebration scene in the bar. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Inglorious Bastards just barely missed my list. Nice. I had uh, two scenes. The, the only reason that these first two didn't come up are because I just talked about them. Bridesmaids had two really great drinking scenes. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, one where she's on the plane getting sauced. On uh, She's also on like re- muscle relaxers or something. And then the, uh, the what's it called? The, the Bridesmaid Toast, where they're drinking champagne and trying to one-up each other. That one's great. Uh, another one that I just talked about recently, so I didn't want to bring it up. American Pie has a great drinking scene with Stifler, where he uh, drinks the pale ale, if you know what I mean. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, what scene? Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, and American Pie 2 ups that by having somebody piss in uh, Stifler's beer. So both of those could have made my list. 
Uh, I put one Robert Rodriguez film on here, so I couldn't put From Dusk Till, Dusk Till Dawn on there, which uh, all takes place in a bar. And then finally, because I had Inglorious Bastards on there, I couldn't put the beer scene from Django Unchained on there, which makes a beer. Like, you brought up Shawshank, which, man, that's like a perfect beer. I think that Django Unchained also shows, like, the beauty of an awesome beer pour. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And if you're if you can relish and appreciate like a good beer pour or just the, like the idea of this a movie making a beer look um, that desirable, do yourself a favor and do watch beer fest. Cause there's a number of like money shots on beers and there's, I'm telling you, you could make this entire list out of the scenes from beer fest. It's there's so many funny drinking scenes in it and it's very good. I will definitely check that out. Sweet. Well, I had a, had a, had a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, before you go, man, tell us a little bit more about the podcast. Like, uh, give us your pitch. Why, why do people need to add it to their cues? So Middle Class Film Class, we're a weekly show. We, we release with uh, a religious uh, consistency every Wednesday, um, you know, Tuesday night at midnight, we get a new episode gets released and we have bonus episodes for uh, same day releases or full length commentaries on like shitty movies. Um, <laughs> the, the, the concept is that we have Three of us, um, me, myself, Tyler, and Joseph, um, we're, we're good friends. We all live here in Sacramento, and uh, we all love movies. Joseph actually went to school as a film major. Um, he's a professional editor right now currently. Nice. So he brings a very interesting perspective to it. Tyler loves like 80s schlocky kind of horror movies, and I'll consume just about anything. But we, we do weekly movie news. Um, we do uh, streaming picks. All three of us give a number of streaming picks every week what we're watching, what's good, what to avoid, what to watch on, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Canopy, whatever, what have you. Um, and then we do one deep dive review every single week. It's chosen at random by the spinning wheel of destiny. And we have three of us. We each have two slots on the wheel. It's an eight slot wheel. And then we have two fan selections. So people write into the show. We've had a number of uh, listeners call into the show and talk to us about their, their uh, movie that, you know, the wheel landed on and we're watched. Oh gosh. Um, Raising Kane was a fan, fan selection. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption fan, fan selection. We do a lot of crowd interaction or listener interaction. So um, one of, we, we record the entire thing live as if, or quote unquote live, like it's a radio show. Live on tape. Live to tape. Yeah. And so all of our sound effects are put in live. We have uh, sound drops, callbacks from the show, past episodes, sound clips from movies and whatnot. And we have theme music for the different segments. And one of our one of our theme musics is actually made by one of our listeners, Bruce. Nice. So yeah, we we, we love interacting with listeners, and it's a really good time. Uh, we do not censor ourselves. It's a hard R show. If you had to rate it, <laughs> <laughs> we just did MacGruber was our last episode. Um, so fun. That was that was my pick. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, check it out. We're on every podcast service you can imagine. Middle class film class. Uh, you'll have a good time. And that's another Force 5 show in the can. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. If you want to be a guest on the Force 5 podcast, the only requirement is that you love movies and want to talk about them. So if you have a top five list that you want the world to discuss, head to the website force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and other Force 5 related stuff. Please go rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow The Force 5 on social media. We've got an Instagram and a Twitter and a Facebook and everything else so you can tell me which picks we missed. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some films with great drinking scenes. Force 5.